Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Philip Slavin of the 1012 podcast here. Have you been listening to this show for a while and thought, you know, if that guy can do this, then so can I. Well, you're, you're probably right. And it's worth giving a shot. The one question you're going to ask yourself is, how do I get my podcast out for everyone to listen to on iTunes, on Spotify? Well, you're going to need a hosting site. And if I may make a suggestion, go with Anchor. It's easy and it's free, which is great for podcast hobbyists uh, who aren't exactly expecting this to make a lot of income, especially starting out. Anchor is fantastic. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need in one place. It has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your show on listening platforms like we mentioned Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And again, it is totally free. It's fantastic. It is what we use. And if it's what we use, it's what we're going to suggest to others. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, that is the Anchor app or anchor.fm to get started with your podcast. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. It is Monday morning, so of course, we are talking hoops, Big 12 hoops specifically. Before we get into all of that, Andy Mitz joined me as my usual Monday co-host. Andy, the Super Bowl has wrapped up already, but since we're recording this on Sunday afternoon, we're going to be all, I just, I just, just off the top, who's your pick? Oh, I mean, I'm I'm a Chiefs fan. I, you know, I, I understand that San Francisco definitely could win this game, but you know, just kind of looking at the strengths of everybody, like the the I think the Chiefs' defense is a lot better than most people are giving them credit for. I I just don't know that while Jimmy Garoppolo can throw the ball, I don't know that he'll be able to the way that he wants. Um, you know, and, and also I just think that San Francisco has 
one hole on their defense and it's at the safety position. Um, and, you know, that's where Kansas City really likes to take advantage with the two speedy guys that they have. They can bring pretty much anyone over through and kind of exploit that. I think it's going to be a back and forth game. Uh, and hopefully I'm proven right when this actually drops. But uh, I, I have a feeling that the Chiefs are going to win this one. And it may be a little bit, you know, um, more of a blowout than people expect. I think that San Francisco will kind of claw back at the end. But I think the Chiefs will probably win this one somewhat comfortably um, by the end. See. Okay, so let me just as I have said on the show numerous times now, this is the best Super Bowl I could ever ask for, as these are literally the two teams that I like. So I am I am a winner no matter who wins. Um, I will put my five dollars on the Niners. I really like the defense. I like their them at look, I understand the Kansas City Chiefs defense is vastly underrated. I just I think I like the Niners as a team overall more than I like the Chiefs. It feels more like team versus Patrick Mahomes. And I don't mean that as a shot at the Chiefs. I really like the Chiefs. I think this is a close game. I think the Niners win a close one. I think it's a lower scoring game than we all think. Now, I, I say lower scoring. I mean, like, 34, like, 31, as opposed to I think everyone thinks it's going to be something in, something like the Big 12 in the 40s. But that's that's kind of my pick. I'll be excited to see. Uh, look, I don't care who wins. I'm going to be happy, whoever wins. Uh, I mean, I, I think I kind of want to see Andy Reid finally get a Super Bowl win, just, you know, because that would be great. Uh, uh, this is not a Super Bowl pod, so I don't want to spend too much time on this. Andy, we've got Brian Ralph on the show today. We're going to talk about the Big 12, uh, the four teams that we think are the four best, Kansas, Baylor, West Virginia, Texas Tech, and let's put it this way. That may be everybody that goes to the NCAA tournament this year from the Big 12, which would be absolutely shocking for the Big 12. Obviously, we'll, that'll be at the end of the interview. Um Andy, I want to talk about one thing real quick before we before we get to that. Um, the Big Ten has initiated a proposal or is, is working on something that would allow all student athletes, any sport, every sport across college for college, um, one time transfer without a sit. You can transfer one time without sitting. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you're a freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, graduate transfer. Everyone gets one guaranteed transfer without a sit after that whole different thing. And, uh, I, I am here for it. I think it's the best solution to what is going on with the, uh, the the rise in transfers, at least the rise in awareness of transfers compared to years past. And I know that not everybody likes it. Um, there's a Robert Allen of, of, uh, I don't know. He was go pokes. Now it's the OSU sports illustrated, whatever. I uh, did a, a chat with Mike Gundy. Gundy doesn't love it. I don't think Gundy's being honest about why he doesn't love it, but he doesn't love it. Not every coach is going to like this proposal, but Pandora's box has been opened. Transfers are happening uh, from true freshmen all the way up to graduate seniors. Okay. So, and right now it's a, it's an absolute mess. Who gets approved? Who gets to play? Who doesn't? Who has to sit out a year? To me, this proposal we're not going backwards on this. It's only going forwards. And the best way to clean some of this up is with this. This is to me is the absolutely the right thing to do. I'm curious your opinion on, on what the big 10 is proposing. Yeah. I mean, my opinion is it's about damn time. <laughs> you know I mean? I, I understand in terms of uh, the schools, in terms of roster management, even for like media people that want to cover it. Like it's you know, the wild, wild west makes it really hard to know what's going on. It takes a lot of the predictability out of there. 
But it does a couple different things that I think are super important. One, it gives the player some power back, you know, to get locked in to a school and then the, they have a coaching change and you're, you know, all your minutes change and everything, uh, you know, and like you lose everything that you actually committed for. Like, it, it's not fair that these kids can't decide to make a change at that point with the same degree of freedom that, that all the coaches get. You know, the other thing too is like right now there's supposed to be like a waiver system that can help kind of cut through that and allow some people who are legitimately cut out in terms of playing time or are legitimately have things taken from them an opportunity to go and play immediately. But the problem is that you have to apply and then get a waiver approved. And we all know that the NCAA is absolutely horrible about any sort of consistency. Um, you know, there's time and time we see all kinds of stories about one person gets, a, gets approved and then someone else who seems to be in the exact same situation gets denied for whatever reason, or even in a worse situation, you know, like, um, you know, there's, there's the exceptions right now for approval for medical issues. Like if you have to go take care of a family member, those usually get approved. But a lot of times we're now seeing, especially recently, that those are getting denied for whatever reason. And, you know, you're gonna have a hard time convincing me it has absolutely, or that it's not because of the schools that they're leaving are finding ways to get the insulated to listen to them, to punish them for deciding to leave. So if we just say, you know, I like looking at this proposal from everything I've read about it so far, it seems to be that it's just a blanket. You automatically get a transfer, no restrictions at all for the first time. If you then decide that you want to transfer a second time, then you have to set out a year. And again, there's no waiver, assuming that this gets rid of the waiver process entirely. So it's first time you automatically can play it. You're immediately eligible. Second time you sit no matter what the reason is. I think it's a fair balance between allowing kids to deal with you know, real changes in situations, real problems in life, uh, but then not allowing kind of that free agency every every year where guys can decide, well, I didn't like this school. I'm going to jump to another one. Oh, well, now I don't like that school. I'm going to jump to another one and doing that year after year after year. Um, the other thing it does too is it, it actually requires the coaches to connect with the kids, make sure that they're actually taking care of the kids and that they're understanding the people that they're bringing into the program, that it's not just about what the coach needs. It's also, you have to make sure you're giving the the players something that they need and that they're getting just as much out of this relationship, or at least something significant out of the relationship and not just being stashed on a bench somewhere. You know, they have to actually interact with their players. They have to build those relationships and maintain those relationships in a way that is mutually beneficial for both the school and the player in order to hold on to guys. And so it, it should help to make some of the situations better to kind of make coaches more responsive to the needs and the wants of the actual players and not just worrying about what works out best for the team. I realize that players should be working, you know, towards a bigger goal and kind of helping the team. But right now, all the teams and the schools have all the power. The players, you know, you can you can recruit a player and end up stashing him on the bench, um, you know, completely lie to him about what's going on. And yeah, you might take a PR hit, but really there's nothing in the rules right now stopping someone from doing that just to keep them from going to an opponent. And then a lot of times, you know, if that opponent that you're trying to keep them from is someone in conference, a lot of conference rules will then prevent that player from going to that other team in any kind of, you know, fair sense of being able to kind of empower themselves and how they want to develop their own career. So I think it's a positive move all around. And, and hopefully I didn't steal all the talking points from you, but uh, I, I, I'm having a hard time seeing any problem with this other than it makes some coaches uncomfortable because now they actually have to manage their rosters in a way that they're not used to. Well, look, I'm all for players getting more control of their careers and their lives. I am. I do understand. Like we, 
co- head coaches get paid so much now that we've stopped caring anything about what they say. Like it's one thing when they're making a million. It's another thing when they're making six and $7 million, $8 million a year. We're just like, we don't like, we're so disconnected from them because of the money that we we're no longer able to understand. Uh, Sometimes it's about the kids, but sometimes it is like their, their jobs also depend on, on, on these players. And I, and I, look, I'm, I'm for this rule. Let me just let me put that out there now. I am for this rule. Let this happen. We're not going to put the transfer stuff back in the box. It's out. Let it be. But I understand the concern from the coaches. If you're at a school like an Oklahoma State, since we brought up Mike Gundy, your program who relies on finding guys, bringing them in, building them up until they are ready to play. Uh, it's their way of having depth. And where they are at a disadvantage over, say, a an Alabama or an Auburn or an Oklahoma or a USC, well, <laughs> even that's hard to say at this point, or an Ohio State is those schools are able to bring in the quality of depth of a recruiting class that's so good that even if a guy leaves, it's really not that big of a hit. When you're a school like an Oklahoma State or a Kansas or a TCU who you're not recruiting at that level and you're bringing guys in and developing them and you rely on your ability to develop players because you can't get five five stars at one position, when guys who you're working on and developing on leave, it sets you back. It sets your program back because now you have to figure something out. Now, look, the counter to that is just get better about playing, using the transfer portal to your advantage and bringing guys in. But there's still you still have to get them on your same page, make sure you find guys that fit, get them ready to play your scheme. So I, I understand the plight of the coaches to some extent. I do. And I understand that it, we're, we're saying this should be this way and then we're going to hold it against coaches when suddenly you've lose three corners and your, your corners – aren't any good next year, but that's on the coaches because they didn't recruit well enough. Well, no, they'd recruited fine and they worked fine. You just suddenly you have a bunch of kids leave. What are you supposed to do about it? So it, there is a double-edged sword here. I do understand to some extent the coaches play, but on the other hand, this is where things are going. You can gripe about it, but what you really need to be doing is figuring out how to, how to, how to work and live in it more than just sitting back and complaining about it. Like if you want to complain and vent, that's fine. Maybe don't do it to the media. Um, instead, figure out ways to, to solve, to, to solve this, how what how what else can you do to help make your job a little bit easier? Because I get it, they make a load of money, but I don't think any of us really appreciate it as how hard it is to actually run a football program like that. We want to talk about how it's a business. You're running a business, okay? And when good employees leave, it's hard to replace them, okay? I don't like. I understand, but like, it's it, college football is not the exact same. But there is something to hiring sucks. Um, replacing good people is hard to do, especially when you have to bring someone in and train them up. So I get their point, but I think this is what should happen. I think this is what's going to happen. And I think, I think college football and the players are going to be better for it. Yeah. But to kind of to your point, you know, where you're talking about Alabama or some of the bigger schools can recruit and have all that depth. So if someone leaves, it's not a big deal. Like, the, I guess the issue that I'm seeing is typically, you know, there are there are a lot of times where teams like Oklahoma State will will be working on developing a guy, and there's a either a disagreement about how that development will happen, um, or they're not getting to a point where the those players are going to see themselves having the potential to be successful. Or you know, a lot of times the teams that have that depth, 
are constantly, or I'm sorry, that, that, you know, are in a similar situation. And again, I'm using Oklahoma State as an example because that's who we've already been talking about. But, you know, if, if, if Oklahoma State is going to have a guy and tell him that we're developing you so that you can be a starter, you know, in your, in your junior year or something like that, but then they constantly recruit over that guy. I can understand that guy getting a little upset, realizing that he isn't going to have an opportunity and then wanting to go ahead and transfer somewhere where those expectations are now set that he is going to be a backup. Even, you know, even if he transfers to a place like Alabama, where he's going to be quality depth, but he's going to, but he understands going in, I'm playing with guys that are going to be a whole lot better. You're probably going to go ahead and recruit that. That's not an issue with guys quitting on the team. That's an issue with the coaches, not setting expectations, not having that relationship and building that. So that way the players still see the value in what they're getting from being part of the team. And so I think it, it takes it from, because, you know, the way it stands right now, there are probably a lot of players who have thought about leaving, but they don't, you know, because the situation just isn't helping them. It's not setting them up for the goals that they have, but they don't leave because of the huge penalties that are involved right now and how difficult it is to get those waived. If we set up a system where every player is on the same foot, there's no worrying about waivers. There's none of that with the, ex- with the understanding that these guys have one free transfer. So now coaches actually have to pay attention to what it is that the players are trying to get as well. It's not just about getting them on and then hoping that the punishment is enough that they're going to go ahead and stick around so you have that depth. Um, you know, it's about getting players on, developing that rapport, making sure everybody understands that everybody's on the same page, and getting guys that want to be there for the right reason. And uh, yeah, it's more work for the coaches. It's difficult to do that that way. And you're going to have people that are moving, especially at the very beginning. You're going to have a lot more guys that are moving when they normally wouldn't because they want to test out this new rule. But eventually, they're going to get to an equilibrium where coaches kind of know what they have to do. They're going to be building those relationships. And, and maybe I'm you know too high, you know, pie in the sky thinking on this, but I do think that this will make it better for everyone because the coaches are going to you know, pay more attention to where their school is, trying to build things, getting to the point where they can actually do this successfully. And yes, some schools are still going to be able to recruit the heck out of everything and handle a whole bunch of guys leaving just because of where they are. But if coaches are doing the job correctly, connecting with the kids, can you know, figuring out what their actual status is as a program and using that to their advantage, there is no reason that any program can't be successful where they're at and improving their situation if they're grabbing the guys that they can actually handle and can actually set those expectations correctly for at the time. Yeah, that sounds easy to do. Except you know we're talking about eighteen well, and they're. Like, I didn't you know, say it was going to be easy, <laughs> but you know, just like I just, just I like anything, I, where I, there's no, I just mean like it, it sounds like you've got to. You know, if you're going to be successful, you have to understand the situation that you're in and be able to kind of go around it. This forces coaches to actually evaluate that instead of trying to lock in guys and just hoping that they're going to think the the you know the penalty is too high to go somewhere else. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, I I think it'll have a. I think it's going to happen. I think it should happen. Uh, I mean, I don't trust the NCAA to make it happen quickly, but I think it's I think it's something that needs to be done. Um, so, with that said, uh, Andy, always a pleasure. Uh, you and I are going to chat with Brian here in just a second. For everybody who likes the pod, do us a favor, let us know. Leave five star rating, please, and a review if you don't mind. Specifically, let us know what you like or don't like. Whether it's me, whether it's Andy, whether it's Chris, whether you just think we're all a bunch of morons and you're never going to listen again, which is also fine. You know, whatever. This is America. Huzzah! Uh, follow us on Twitter at ten twelve podcast t e and the number twelve the word podcast. And with that said, let's get to Brian Rout.
All right, we're far enough into this season that I think I want to go ahead and start placing some labels on on some Big 12 teams. And to do that, Brian Ralph from Busting Brackets, one of our favorite guests, is back on the show. Uh, Brian, welcome back, man. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Always, always. And I'm going to get you and Andy's opinions on 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 how I want to label the, the Big 12 teams, or at least the ones I think are most relevant at this point. And let's start with Baylor. Baylor number one. Um, is if I want to put a label on them, it is the champs. I think Baylor is going to win the Big 12 regular season. Um, the tournament's weird, so it's hard to claim who's ever going to win the Big 12 tournament. So that's I'm going to set that aside. But I think Baylor is the best team in the Big 12. And of all the teams in the conference, including Kansas, I think Baylor is the one I will feel most confident in making all taking all the way to the Final Four. What do you guys feel about that? I completely agree. Um, I think Kansas has some problems. Uh, it's it's Doak and Devin Dotson, and that's pretty much it for them uh, from a consistent production standpoint. Uh, at some point, that's going to fall apart in the tournament um, when they need somebody else to do to step up and do something for them. Baylor has shown all year long um, that they have enough enough excuse me enough depth and enough firepower um, to beat you even if some of their guys are off uh, they've just been as consistent as anybody has been at a high level all season long that's why they're number one that's why they're undefeated in conference play i, I don't until i see them slow down i i don't think they're going to slow down because i think they would have shown shown it already yeah i mean i'm gonna have to disagree like i do think that baylor is going to be you know like i, I don't think it's that baylor can't do it i think that kansas is probably just as good as baylor um, and maybe this is me being the Homer Kansas guy, but you know, Christian Brown, you know, the only game in the last six essentially where he has not been absolutely phenomenal was the game against Texas tech. And you could tell the tech was making a conscious effort to take him out of the game plan, um, which allowed Isaiah Moss to get a lot more open looks than he normally does. Um, you know, Kansas has a lot of guys while the two main guys, everyone pays attention to are Devon Dotson and Yudo Kozbuke, you know, that's because, they are the two guys that are legitimate player of the year candidates. Um, whereas Marcus Garrett is absolutely phenomenal on defense, locks everyone down. Um, you know, and th- yes, they have a little bit of inconsistency from guys like Ochai Baji, uh, but they have all the pieces, especially now that McCormick's back. They have all the pieces to make a run, to do everything that they need to do. It's, it's very difficult, I think, to make every single one of those guys have an off night. Um, I mean, Kansas is not just Dotson and Azabuke. They are, they have, pretty much every other kind of role player that you need and guys that can do what they need to do. And they have several outside threats now that can carry them. Um, The main issue I think is everyone looks at that Texas tech game and there was a lot of kind of weirdness going on with that game. And Texas tech is really good at scheming to make games look very ugly compared to what they normally are. Um, You know, they, they did a lot of, of keep trying to keep people out of the middle. And when Kansas finally was able to diagnose that and, and figure out how to go after that, they, they opened the floor up a whole lot more. Um, and honestly, we're a lot more effective um, in that second half. So what what I'm seeing from this Kansas team, and, and maybe it's that I'm just you know watching them a little bit closer than some people, or maybe it's maybe I might have some you know Jayhawk colored glasses on a little bit, but I think they have all the pieces you need to make a a, lo- a long run. Just like Baylor, they are still consistently a much better team on all of the advanced metrics. 
um, which are very good predictively. Obviously, you know, it's not gospel, but it, you know, if, if you're looking forward and trying to predict how things are going to go or how teams are generally going to look, they've done a very, very good job. Um, and, and so Kansas is clearly number one in all of those. So again, I, I do think that the, that this is the year the Big 12 could very easily get two Final Four teams into the Final Four. Um, Baylor and Kansas both have that. And then, like you said, I do think that Texas Tech um, is a very good is a very good team. Um, also, West Virginia, and, and I'm sure we'll kind of talk a little bit more about them them here. But um, in terms of favorites, it's going to be Baylor and or Kansas. Um, kind of the rest of the way. And I, I have them both on fairly equal footing with Baylor just having a little bit of a head start right now. I, I will say this about Kansas, because I agree with you that they have all the pieces necessary to make a run. I just think that they're a bit of a more fragile ecosystem than Baylor is in terms of uh, while they are more than dots, everything else to work. And we've seen that breakdown. Um, in some of their losses this year and some of the games where they've struggled more than they should, uh, they found ways to get through it, except for when they've played maybe some of the better competition that they faced uh, and led to some of these losses. They have, they have a high floor. Like they're not going to be one of those Kansas teams that loses in the first or second game for the second round. I don't think. Um, but I, I just think Baylor is a little bit more flexible in terms of how they beat you. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to turn this into a flexible ecosystem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know that's um that's a fairly interesting way to put it. Um, but the one thing, the one thing, because we actually just looked at this question on my podcast over on the Rock Chalk podcast, and you know, this Kansas team is grading out very, very similar, actually even better in terms of you know adjusted efficiency margin wise to the 2009 North Carolina team that everybody said was a dominant team and a clear and you know far and away the best team in college basketball that that year. Um, this Kansas team is essentially looking, you know, advanced profile wise, like a very similar team and has a similar sort of margin compared to everyone else. The difference has been they didn't have Isaiah Moss for that game against Duke. They barely lost that game. You know, they had a, a huge injury against Villanova, lost that game. Uh, to, to Marcus Garrett. Lost that game by one by one bucket. You know, uh, Devon Dotson goes out for basically half the game against Baylor at home, and they end up losing that game fairly mm-hmm. significantly. But I think it's, you know, fair to say that if you're losing your starting point guard, um, a lot of teams are going to have problems getting anything going. And so so it's, it's one of those things, you know, if even those, if, if even the game against Duke and the game against Villanova go differently and they were able to get one extra bucket to win those games, people would be talking about this Kansas team like it's the dominant team in college basketball so far this year. You know, even with that loss, a big loss against Baylor with a similar sort of result. And so, like, I, I'm not saying that I don't think Baylor is good, but I think a lot of people are underselling this Kansas team because of basically two buckets at the beginning of the year when they were missing key pieces of this team. I think these are all good points. Look, I, this isn't a, a shot at Kansas. I, I If I was going to get them label, I would call them the contender. I'm, I think Baylor wins a Big 12, but... If you if Kansas does, it's not like I, I would be shocked, and it wouldn't shock me if Kansas makes the Final Four either. I just if I have to pick a team that I feel like I can trust more, I'm going to go with Baylor based off how they've looked so far through this season. And, and Kansas, with with everything going on with Kansas, it just it just feels so unstable that I don't I don't have as much faith in them right now as I do Baylor. So Baylor is the champ, Kansas the contender. Let's go to the third team. It's West Virginia. And I, and I have a hard time thinking of a, of a correct way to label this. But this is, this is the hot-cold team. 
And West Virginia's ceiling is very, very high. But this is a young team whose floor, I think, is 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 lower than everybody else, or at least the other top teams in the Big 12. And West Virginia, to me, is a team that's either going to make a nice run, Sweet 16, Elite 8 in the NCAA tournament, or a team that, because of their youth, is going to get upset in the first round. That, like, that feels like what West Virginia is to me. Brian, what is your, what's your gauge on West Virginia from that standpoint? Yeah, I, I agree. I think they're, the way I would characterize them is they're either going to ruin somebody's season or they're going to make somebody's season because they're capable of playing, uh, I don't want to say pretty poorly, but if their turnover problems flare up and they can't make shots from the outside, they get some of their bigs in foul trouble, they're capable of being upset by a, a much lower, lower seed in the first round of the tournament and would make someone season at the same time they can get to the sweet 16 elite eight. And if they're dominant down low, holding onto the ball, getting good play out of mouth McBride specifically, um, they can beat anybody and they can ruin somebody's season. Um, they're probably, I think certainly in the big 12 uh, and one of the teams in the country that has probably the most variance in terms of their ceiling and their floor just on any given night. Yeah. I mean, I, this team, I'm not sure if the if the youth factor is the same, but this team reminds me a lot of that uh, that Missouri team in their final year in the Big 12, where they you know were playing everybody tough, looked to be like one of the better teams, had a couple weird upsets here and there, but for the most part seemed like a very dominant team in the Big 12, and then went out and lost you know as a two seed to Norfolk State um, because essentially everybody had an off night. They had one of those nights where just nothing worked for them. Um, this West Virginia team is very, very talented. They have a phenomenal defense. I mean, you look at Ken Palm right now, they're the number two ranked defense in, in all in, in all of the nation, not, not just in the Big 12. Um, and it actually have the best defense in the Big 12, I believe. Um, but but really, you know, what I see is this team is so young and they are so dependent on Oscar Sheway having a phenomenal game um, mm-hmm. for them to really kind of hit their potential. All it takes is to get him out of rhythm and, and you know, basically prevent someone else from making up the slack there, uh, but he is kind of the the key there. And when they're so young and having that those kind of problems, if you can take him out of the game, you really mess up everything that they try to do, and they have a hard time adjusting, especially defensively. So I, this seems a little bit odd based off of the the standings and everything else. But let's let's talk Texas Tech. Texas Tech currently sitting at thirteen and eight, four and four in conference play. They're one of four teams of that way. Their resume is good. They've got a lot of really nice losses. They don't have a ton of wins to hang their head on. Yet in the net rankings, they're number 30. And to me, they are the fourth best team in the conference despite the record. Okay. Um, I don't think Texas – I think Texas Tech's ceiling conference seeding-wise or, or tournament seeding-wise at this point is a six. Let's say they just go on a tear. I think the best they can do at this point is a six. But to me, Texas Tech is the most dangerous team – of any of the Big 12 teams to make a run. Part of that's just the talent they have. Part of that is the Chris Beard effect. But come tournament time, they feel like, and even more than West Virginia, which sounds funny, I almost think West Virginia is the better choice as far as first-round upset, and Texas Tech is the better choice of a team that could ruin someone's season and go on a tear. Uh, Brian, what's your thought on that? They certainly, uh, um, from an on-court perspective, have that upside. Uh, when their defense is clicking, when they're getting enough production from guys like Ramsey um, and Moretti, it looks like they have that potential. And we saw it against Louisville, uh, even though Ramsey didn't play in that game, uh, sort of what they can be 
defensively, it, it was kind of a flashback to what they looked like last year. Um, this year, though, the defense isn't quite on the same level it was last year, and their offense has been too inconsistent. That's why they've come up short in a lot of those games that would be uh, potential you know, resume-making wins for them. Uh, the Kansas game comes to mind. The Kentucky game comes to mind just over the past few weeks here. Because of that, I, I think from an on-court perspective, they're better than the seed they're going to get. I think a lot of Texas Tech fans are going to be upset at this seed that they're going to get in the NCAA tournament and potentially in the Big 12 tournament, um, but mostly in the NCAA tournament because the resume simply doesn't stack up to where I, I think their on-court play is. Right now, I don't think it would be a surprise to see them in the 8-9 game uh, or a 7-10 game as potentially being the 9 seed or the 10 seed, depending on how things go down the stretch here. Um, and they're obviously a much better team than that. And I think whoever they would get matched up with would be a bit upset to see them there. Um, but their, their resume just lacks those, those top quality wins. And the selection committee has shown a track record in the past of caring more about the teams you can beat and have proven that you've beaten more so than who you didn't lose to. Um, USC a couple of years ago was a great example of that. Um, that said, because they're going to get a low seed and because of, again, what, we see, what we've seen from them on the court this year, they're going to, they have the potential to be a 10 seed that upsets a two and makes a Sweet 16 or potentially an 8-9 that upsets a one and makes a Sweet 16. They, they have that potential. Um, it's just a matter, I think, over this last month here, seeing them become a bit more consistent uh, from an offensive standpoint. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, I, I unless they can – win those back-to-back games against Baylor and Kansas to end, the, to end the season, you know, or get one of those and then go and win the Big 12 tournament title. Like, I don't see how they can get enough on their resume to get above maybe a seven seed at the best. Um, you know, I mean, the only two wins they have that are really worth anything at this point is the win against Louisville on a, on a neutral court and then the home win against West Virginia. Um, you know, so the only, the only chance that they have to even get a top 50 win um, well, Oklahoma is kind of fringe, fringe 50 right now. Uh, but if, if you're not counting those Oklahoma wins, then it's just those two games at the very end of the season. And so they're going to, they're going to potentially start building wins here against the kind of the lower level of the big 12 conference. Um, but one upset in any of those games is going to kind of torpedo the shot that they have, you know, cause they've already got a loss to TCU. They've already got a loss to DePaul. They've already got a loss. Um, well, they don't really have any other bad losses, but the rest of the, the way, they don't have a lot of opportunities for good wins to buoy up what they have. The one thing looking at the way Texas Tech plays is they still have are very good in terms of the scheme of their defense. Um, and they've always kind of been a baseline team, trying to drive teams to the outside and towards the baseline to use the baseline and the sideline as extra defenders to trap people. What they don't have this year is that speed out on the perimeter. Kansas was picking them apart once they realized what they were trying to do you know, and getting guys up in the slot where they could then drive quicker past the guards they had trying to trying to um, to defend them. And so really, that's the problem that Texas Tech is going to run into. If they run into a team that is very fast, especially at the guard spots, that, you know, guys that can drive from the point guard or the shooting guard spot, um, they're going to have a really hard time in the tournament. Uh, so they just have to hope that it's not really early that they see one of those. You know, if they don't run into that and they play a lot bigger teams, then they could definitely make a run. But they're going to be very matchup dependent. It's just going to depend on the kind of the luck of the draw for them there. I do think that they are clearly the fourth best team because of the way that defense goes. Um, but they also struggle in the fact that they're two, like really the only two guys that they can consistently count on 
are Moretti and Ramsey. Um, they're in a kind of a similar situation to what most people think Kansas are, that it's the two main guys and then a bunch of people failing in around. They don't really have anyone else that could take a game over if they had to. So looking at the rest of the Big 12, to me, this conference is only going to get five teams in. Maybe they get six. It's a weird year. They're, you know, I'm going to say the Big 12 gets five teams in. So outside of Baylor, Kansas, West Virginia, and Texas Tech, there are three contenders for that last spot. Oklahoma, who's currently 14-7 and seven and ranked uh, 48th in the Ken Palm rankings. Uh, Texas, also 14-7, and seven, currently ranked 62nd in, in the net rankings. Sorry, net rankings, not Ken Palm. Uh, TCU, who is 13-8 overall, and they're 67th in the net rankings. All are 4-4 four and four in conference play. I'm curious who each of you think, and I'm going to I'm gonna go last just because I'm curious what you guys think. Who do you think is the fifth team to get in from the Big 12? Um, Andy, I'm going to let you actually take this one first. So I'm struggling. I, I don't think TCU has a shot. They don't have really much in terms of, um, you know, a, a huge resume already. Um, and they've kind of, what they do have, they've built on the backs of the worst, you know, the, the not so great teams in the Big 12. Um, now that they've kind of gotten to the meat of their schedule, they're definitely struggling. They've also lost to all of the other contenders at this point. And so um, Texas, you know, they have they have some decent wins, but nothing that's really up there. The only real resume win they have at this point is that win the beginning of the year against Purdue, um, which is now kind of grading out. And honestly, I just don't trust Shaka. So like by default, I think it has to be Oklahoma. Um, you know, they have they have somewhat of a resume. They have several... Um, you know, kind of, you know, 30 to 40 type wins. Um, they've actually shown some life against some of the other teams in the Big 12. The problem that I'm seeing with Oklahoma and what makes me even think that it's very possible there may not be five teams in the Big 12 this year, um, you know, kind of just depending on where everyone else, you know, hits um, because they can't seem to really beat teams like Kansas State who they had, they had absolutely no business losing to, um, you know, especially as bad as they did. You know, they lost to Iowa State on the road. Like, they are going to need to sweep everybody at home, um, pick up a big win on the road either, you know, uh, against Kansas uh, or a big win on the road against Texas Tech or West Virginia, something like that, um, to really boost that resume because they just, they haven't performed well in a lot of the big spots and they have a couple resume-killing losses that they're, that they're sitting with right now. But I do think they're probably the only chance the Big 12 has of getting a fifth. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I would put it at four probably right now with Oklahoma needing to get another kind of big win and avoid a bad loss to get there. Uh, but again, I, I don't know if I trust Oklahoma to do that. So I'd actually probably say uh, those first four from the Big 12 is all that gets in. Oh, well, wow. Well, that would be – I mean, the ACC is probably going to get four teams in, and they're far bigger than the Big 12, so that's not terrible. I mean, I think I agree on Oklahoma at this point, and it's, it's kind of process of elimination. Like, I don't trust Shaka either. Whether he's gone or not, I mean, at this point, I, I just I don't trust him. I actually think TCU is going to go to Stillwater on Wednesday and lose to Oklahoma State, and their season is going to be like that's that's the a loss nobody wants right now. Um, and for OU, yeah, it's just kind of process of elimination. Like I I, at, I think the fifth place team and the fifth team who gets in is it looking at a, a possibly an eleven seed playing game kind of thing. Like I just. I think the Big 12 gets five because of how down the other Power Five conferences seem to be, but I, OU's the last best chance, I think. 
All right, so with that said, uh, Brian had to bounce. I really appreciate him joining us as always. It's Super Bowl Sunday. People have things to do. I get it. I appreciate getting 15, 20 minutes out of him. So if you are a basketball fan and aren't following Brian Ralph, go follow him on Twitter. Go check out all the work he does for busting brackets. Guys, there's a reason I have him on on a regular basis. Okay, just just trust me. Go follow him, Busting Brackets on Twitter, at Busting Brackets. Follow Brian at BRalph, R-A-U-F 33 on Twitter. They do some great stuff over there. Um, With that note, let's wrap this up. Andy, we'll talk to you again next week, and I will talk to you all, the rest of you all, on Thursday. Podcast Network.